Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. You've asked and we've answered. We're excited to announce today that we are launching the series that was conducted at the Rocky Creek Church of Christ on the topic of revival. Uh, There are five of the six that were recorded uh, that you will find here and over the next few podcasts and hope that you enjoy these. Uh, Certainly were well received and I enjoyed being able to present them to the congregation. The one that is missing is the one on reviving our study. And so we talked about being able to revive our uh, Bible study life and being able to put Bible class first when we come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays as well. Uh, The other sermons uh, in this series will include reviving our worship Uh, reviving our fellowship, reviving our homes, reviving our faith, hope, and love, and then finally reviving our spirit. So we hope you enjoy this five-lesson series as a part of Ray Reynolds' rap. Well, good evening, church. So good to see all of you here tonight. I know it's kind of chilly outside, but it is great to be together with the family of God. I always look forward to being together with my church family, and I hope that you've, uh, if you've been here through this meeting so far, you'll continue to come and encourage and and bless everybody around you as we continue with this gospel meeting. I, I want to say thank you again for your hospitality and for all of your kind words. And I have just thoroughly enjoyed being here with you uh, these two days and looking forward to continuing through with this week. I appreciate so much the elders giving me this subject to be able to talk about because I do believe it's something that I'm passionate about. And I think that you probably are too. It is definitely something we need to focus on and that is to be revived we're tired, we're depressed, we're anxious, we're discouraged, we get frustrated with the things that are going on in our world, and it's time we had some revival. It's time that we finally started focusing on the things that we should see as the most important in not only our lives, but the lives of every person on this planet, to recognize that there is a God and that he sent his one and only son to the cross to die for us, and that he has sent his spirit to live and dwell inside of us and give us strength to get through anything. And that ought to help us with every aspect of our daily walk. And if we believe that God is the same God of the Old Testament, and the God we serve is the same God of the New Testament, the same God reigns today on the throne, and he did all those magnificent and wonderful things in the Old Testament, everything from helping Noah get prepared to build the ark and save his family, on through to Moses leading the children of Israel across the Red Sea on dry ground, If we believe the same God who filled the temple with his Holy Spirit when Solomon built the temple David had prepared, and if we believe the God who inspired the prophets to teach and to preach about the coming Messiah and the building of the kingdom, which is the church, if we believe that he is the same God today as he always has been, then that means the promises he made then still are promises today. God continues to bless his people. And I do think that's something we need to focus on frequently about how wonderful our God is and what all God has done for his people. You ever wondered why God gives us the Bible? You ever wonder why he gives us all these great stories of men and women of faith? You ever wondered why there are all these teachings and commands? Because he wants us to see how other people did it. Not just did it right, but sometimes 
the way they did it wrong. You know, you start thinking about all the characters through the Old Testament. Some of them made some major mistakes. And we're going to cover a few tonight as we recognize some couples, some marriages, some men and women, husbands and wives, that made some big blunders. And it caused a lot of problems for the generations after. Tonight we want to talk about what it means to be revived as a family. We need to have our homes revived. What I want to do is I want us to start with Ephesians chapter 5, and then we're going to notice a couple of things here, and then we're going to jump into at least one other thing that's noted in the text before we move forward. This is Ephesians 5, and I want to back up, if you will, to verse 21. Ephesians 5 and verse 21. It says, Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and the wife see that she respects her husband. Continuing in chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That's such a great passage of Scripture. It's loaded with things. Texts from the Old Testament and some even from Paul's previous teachings up to this point. But it is a great place to kind of bookmark what we're going to talk about tonight. And I know that there are things here, many things we would like to dig even deeper into, but for the sake of time, we'll try to hit the highlights. The first thing we need to do if we want to revive our families is we got to start with our fathers. It's time for us to revive fatherhood. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, men, we have a covenant with God. There's a reason why God created Adam first. He gave Adam a specific command in Genesis chapter 1 and then in chapter 2. That was that he was supposed to tend the earth and then he was supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You ever noticed how whenever the command is given in Genesis chapter 1 and it plays out in chapter 2, we know very little about Eve. But we know that Adam is that crowning part of creation. And he says to Adam, you've got a task. You're going to take care of this garden. Man was created for dominion over the earth. We are supposed to be the leaders on this earth. That's the way God designed us. That's the way God has planned it. And same is true in the New Testament church. And we'll get there in just a minute. When he creates Adam, he says, I have tasks for you. I have jobs for you to do, and you need to be the one who steps up and does it. Now, later, 
The reason why Eve is created is not just for procreation, but for relationship. In fact, everything that God said up to that point said it's good. First day, it's good. Second day, it's good. Third day, it's, what is it? Good. That's right. Day four, good. Day five, good. Day six, y'all got it. But there's one thing, one thing that after naming all of his creation good and wonderful, he gives Adam the task of naming the animals. And as Adam is naming the animals, he's seeing that there are pairs. Now, that's important moving up into Genesis chapter 8. Because, by the way, church, you know there's just male and female, right? There's only male and female. Amen? Amen. There's not a thousand genders. There's two. It's the way God created us. I had a professor in college once said he made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. But however you want to remind yourself, God created man and woman. That's the way that it's intended from the beginning. And he created Adam because the Bible says it was not good that man be alone. All right? Now, ladies, you can look at your husbands and say, hey, you're nothing without me. You're, I'm the good in this marriage, right? I'm the very good in this marriage. But he created Eve because it wasn't good for man to be alone. Companionship. Relationship. As guys, we're not usually emotional creatures. Our wives are usually more emotional when it comes to certain things. We're the brawn, the, 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 the muscle in the family, right? Or we're supposed to be, unless you're one of those guys that runs from a, from a snake or from a spider and scream. But I'm telling you, as we look at the Bible and we look at the history of manhood, God has designed for us as fathers to step up to the plate. That doesn't just mean in physicality. It doesn't mean that I just teach my kid how to use a hammer and a nail or how to use a fishing pole or how to use a rifle. I teach my son in things that are spiritual as well because I have a covenant with God. You and I have a covenant with God. And if you bear children in this world, God has given you the covenant of marriage and he's also given you the covenant of fatherhood and God takes that seriously. In fact, if you look at the stories through Old Testament and New Testament scripture, there's this relationship between the children of God and our heavenly father. Have you noticed that term being used, the children of God, the children of God, the children of God? The father has this relationship and we recognize that he is our heavenly father. We need him. Our children, they need a father in the home. There's a reason why God has designed the home in such a way to have mothers and to have fathers. But the covenant of fatherhood includes, as it says there in Ephesians, trying to train up, trying to raise up, trying to not provoke our children to wrath. So there is a responsibility there for teaching. Several dimensions, but one is teaching. I have to teach my children what covenant means with God. And that means, men, my children hear me pray. My children see me read the Bible. My children see me in the pew when it comes time for, for worship and for Bible study. My child needs to see me being spiritual in covenant with God. Your child will not become a Christian by default. Just because you come to church, just because you have a Bible on your end table or on you know the, the, some table in the house or on the bookshelf does not mean that your child's automatically going to become a Christian. 
You know, when I was in high school, I was a terrible student. I really didn't do very well. If I hadn't played football, I wouldn't have passed. That's just the truth of it. Every coach was just like, see, sound good enough, Ray? Yeah, sounds great. Just pass me. I wasn't good at all. But I remember I had a teacher that I absolutely despised. She tried to run me over once with her car, but that's another story. <laughs> My brother and I survived the incident. But we had this teacher that was so awful, her name was Mrs. Robb. She's passed away, so it's okay, I guess, that I tell this story. Mrs. Robb did not like me at all. She didn't like the fact that I was in her class as a sophomore when it was a freshman-level class. I had skipped her because I didn't want her. I had to take her my sophomore year or I couldn't move up to the next math class. And so she had told us that we needed to learn this particular chapter of, of it was algebra, okay? And so I, for some odd reason, thought that if I slept with the book underneath my pillow, somehow the, the, the chapter would leap into my mind. Have you ever seen people that, that have tried this? Has it worked for them? No, it doesn't work. You can put something underneath your pillow and it will not jump into your mind. You have to learn it. You have to learn it. As much as we want our children to go to heaven, it's not going to happen by accident. I need to talk to my kids about spiritual things. And that means I have to talk about sin. It means that I have to talk about the reality of what life is about. I have to talk to my children about what happens when you get kicked while you're down. In fact, as a man, I show my family what it's like to stand up to someone who's arrogant or someone who is a bully. I, I show my family what it means when somebody mistreats us or says something wrong about us. I am the spiritual example in that household of what God should be in the church. Did you notice that in Ephesians 5? He says, I want you husbands... To treat your wives like Christ treats the church. You are, a, you are the Christ-like example in that home. Now, praise God, some of our wives are, are extremely spiritual. And I, I praise God for that. But we need our men, if we're going to revive fatherhood, to be the spiritual leaders of their household. And so I challenge you, men, you, if you want your children to go to heaven, if you want your wife to to go to heaven, if you want your family to see the need for eternity, for their spiritual life, you have to set the example. Many times when I was with my kids, when they were little, I'd go out of town like for a meeting like this, and I would make sure and call. And every night, every single night, even if I was out of town, in fact, ironically, if I was out of the country, I would pre-record these things. I, I wanted to make sure that my children heard me pray and read the Bible with them every night. Now, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, they got some questions that I can't answer. And I had three at home at the same time that I had to be learning and, and, and teaching and so forth. But when I went in at night, I had one that would make a prayer list on a ledger pad. And sometimes it'd take 30 minutes, okay? And then I'd go into the other kid's room, and he'd have his Bible open with highlighters. And he'd say, can we highlight tonight, Dad? And I said, yeah, sure. And sometimes that little, that pattern of praying with all three kids and highlighting scriptures and doing prayer lists might take me two hours at night. And I, I kept thinking, man, you know, I'm missing my programs. I've got some books that I want to read. You know, we're looking at 11 o'clock. They got school tomorrow. But I look back and I feel like that was probably of all the things I ever did. I messed up a lot as a dad. Guys, we, we mess up. We make mistakes. But we set a standard for our children as fathers. This is what men do. 
Men read their Bibles. Men pray with their families. Men lead. And when difficult stuff happens, men step up and say to the family, it's going to be all right. God's got this. We need to restore fatherhood like that. Now, there are some terrible examples, in fact, in Scripture. Uh, you go back and you start looking about uh, uh, going back to Abraham. You know, Abraham, there's a pattern, by the way, if you look at it. Abraham was the favorite of his father. So when Abraham has kids, guess what? Isaac is his favorite. So Isaac has two kids, Jacob and Esau. He chooses Esau. His wife chooses Jacob. Favoritism. Favoritism, three generations. Well, what does that matter? Well, it'll help you to understand why Jacob treated Joseph different. Favoritism is often passed down. So we have to be careful. The Bible shows us this characteristic in these men. It is, it is at their own fault that they bring all these difficulties into their families. David, Eli, there are a lot of these examples of men that just were really Terrible fathers, maybe great leaders, good in the workplace, but they were terrible fathers. And if we want to revive the church, we've got to start in our homes. And if we start in our homes, we start with us as dads. I know it's tough, but this is preventative. It's going to help our families to ensure that they have eternal life. And so we look, look within ourselves and say, I, as a dad, I want to be a terrific leader. Second of all, We've got to revive motherhood. Now, I want you to notice, as you go back to Genesis, as I said, everything's good except for man being alone. That's not good. He creates Eve, and it's very good. God created woman for man. And he did it, as I said, for companionship and for procreation and so forth. But it is meant to be a covenant. In fact, it is the first institution in the Bible. It predates the church by a few thousand years. God has always designed us to have relationships. And he intends for us throughout our life to find someone to spend our life with. You've sat through marriage ceremonies before. You probably can quote some of the vows that are often said between individuals. But when you look back to Genesis chapter 2 and you see that Eve was taken out of man, literally a piece of himself is taken to create his wife. Now, why is that? Why is that, that taking out of man so specific and significant? Some say, well, the rib is close to the heart. And so, you know, maybe taken out of the heart of man. One of the things we see through scripture is many times, whenever we talk about the women giving birth to the children, men, it says begot so-and-so. Well, why is that important? Well, John 3.16 says that the only begotten of the father, which is Jesus... So it is to show that both men and women have a responsibility to that child in the home. And in the family, men, we protect our wives. What do we know about the women in the scriptures? Well, I'll tell you, one of our favorite passages to run to is Proverbs chapter 31. You know, I've, I have done many a funerals for sweet sisters in Christ that I have used that text. Family says that's the best way to explain, you know, what a mother is to be to her family. If you've read the book of Proverbs... You're probably familiar with another part of the story. There's a story in Proverbs about, as Solomon puts it, this young man looking through the lattice and seeing down into the street a woman who is wicked. In fact, he describes the way she talks to him. 
He describes the way that she acts around him. She talks about how her husband's gone on a long journey and he's taken a big purse of money with him. She didn't expect, expect him back anytime soon. And he's lured in. Now, why would Solomon tell that story? Now, remember back in chapter 1 and throughout the book, he says, to my sons, to my sons, to the young men. He's teaching his children. The Proverbs are the book he wrote. That's the book he wrote to his kids. He says, I want to leave a legacy in my children, and I'm going to give them all these great wise sayings. Are you with me? So he gives all these wise sayings, but there's a, a little strange section in there that says that this guy that's looking through the lattice, which I believe is Solomon, looking back in time at something he did, and he talks about how he followed these wicked, this wicked woman. And repeatedly he'll give proverbs about staying away from certain women that are wicked and evil. And then at the end... He doesn't write it, by the way, but they include it at the end of the book of Proverbs. The book ends with the virtuous woman. Nothing happens by accident. Many of the books and chapters that are placed where they are in our Bibles are there strategically by the providence of God. The one thing that Solomon, if you'll go and you'll read Ecclesiastes, one of the major things that he struggled with throughout his life was his relationship with women. How better to end the greatest book of wisdom ever written to say, I did some things early in my life. And remember, he had hundreds of women and concubines. But he allows King Lemuel to have this last saying. He doesn't say it because his children, by the way, are many of them are born from these foreign women. He lets the king say, you need to find one woman and you need to treat her with the utmost respect. She is worthy. She is virtuous. How would you end a book of Proverbs? This is the way God allows the book to be completed. You see, if he had found one virtuous woman, he would have avoided so many of the problems throughout the book and the book of Ecclesiastes as well because he invested himself in too many places doing too many other things. And so... As Proverbs speaks of this woman, notice all the different characteristics of her. She's an encourager. She's a helper. She's a confidant. She's, she's a, a seamstress. She's a cook. She's a, I mean, this lady, I mean, women, the bar's pretty high, right? I mean, you read this thing and you're like, man, uh, she deserved to get paid <laughs> to do all this stuff. Because, you know, your kids do think that you're the chauffeur and the cook and the maid and so forth. But I read this and I am exhausted. She rises early in the morning before the family gets up, and she's the last one burning the midnight oil before bedtime. And you read this woman, and the characteristics are given by Solomon to say, men, this is what you want to seek after. This is the kind of woman that you need to have because she will be a spiritual leader. You notice also that the virtuous woman is known in the city gates. It says among the elders. That's where they would set and make reference to wise things and decisions. And how cool is it that the men get together in their elders' meeting and they say, well, I wonder what sister so-and-so would do in a time like this. That's how well-respected this woman was. She's known, her name. And then notice also something, back on fatherhood, if you will, for a second. Her husband praises her. Her children praise her. And we need our mothers to be praised they need to be encouraged. They need to be built up. What can women contribute to the family? Way more, way more than you probably could think. In fact, some of us 
would say that our moms, even though they're our mothers, were our best friends growing up. Uh, my mom would get in the floor and play toys with us. We had what they called whiteouts in, in Michigan, where, or some of them call it blackouts. In other words, where it was so white outside or dark outside from snow, you couldn't see anything for days. And we'd be locked into this little single wide trailer with a wood burning stove. And we, were, we would all congregate in one room of the house because it was so cold. And we would play, we had these little micro machine cars. Any of y'all remember those little micro machines? We'd have these little micro machine cities. And we'd get out our G.I. Joe and Star Wars toys and we'd make big cities. And my mom, even though she had lupus and she was sick most of my life, would crawl down in the floor and play with us. Your mother is one of your best friends, your, your best confidant many times. And moms, we need to continue to encourage you to be that leader for your children. Pray with your children. Read the Bible with your children. I still have memories almost every day of things that I did with my mother. I remember her at one point, and we were very poor, so we lived in some very sketchy houses. And because my brother and I were only 18 months apart, we virtually couldn't stand each other for most of our early life. And so to get our own bedroom, we'd sleep anywhere. And so I said, hey, I'll sleep on the back porch. We moved into a house. I said, no, -uh, I'll go to the back porch. It's screened in, no air conditioning, which if you know me, that was, uh, whew, I need my air conditioning. We go to the back porch and we set up a little makeshift bed next to the washer and dryer. That's where I slept. And my mom, because the room was so small, would sit on the step going into the house. And she would sit and she had that big illustrated Bible that the guy came around and knocked doors for us to buy. Big illustrated Bible. And I've seen those at many places, vintage stores. And I just think those are so cool. And once in a while, I'd have to get up and go look at the picture because I knew there were pictures in that book. And those are the early memories I have of learning the Bible. I had some great Bible class teachers, but my mother instilled within me the wisdom I needed to get me where I am today. My mother also would give me these little pieces of paper. I was kind of wiggly in church. Y'all have any wigglers, you know? I would wiggle in church. My mom handed me a piece of paper, and she'd write four letters on it. Missy and I are making journals now for this, called my first journal, church journal. And so we've got them for the kids to do. And there's four letters, you know, C or H, and you got to write down every word you hear from the pulpit. And I would do that. When I got it full, 20 of them, she'd give me another letter. And that's how I learned to pay attention to the sermons. But I remember hearing my mother pray when I was sick. I remember one time my mom praying that when I was so sick and they were headed to the emergency room with me, she'd say, Lord, please punish me. Dude, give this to me. Let me take the sickness from him. Your mom, your mom is extremely special. She loves you more with a love that you'll never, ever experience any other way. So we need our moms to be spiritual leaders too. We need to treat our husbands with respect and encourage our children to be as much like Jesus as they possibly can. And let me say also that there are many women my wife is one included. She, she was uh, a single mom for many years before we married. And how hard it was to raise two children on her own. And I have so much respect for our ladies who have no choice but to try to raise the children by themselves. And I encourage you, as my wife would encourage you also, to find some men. If you've got a, a father or a grandfather figure, you've got somebody at church that you can look to, to model. Uh, Missy would take her kids to fish. She, she doesn't like the, 
the, the fishy part, okay? Uh, she can dress real nice and sit in a lounge chair and hold a pole, but she's not going to put the worm on it. So she would send her boys with men from the church with their children to be able to have that, and I think that's essential. But I encourage you ladies, if you're having to do that by yourself, continue to teach your child what it means, especially your young boys, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a spiritual leader. Let's talk about childhood next. We need to revive our children. Now, we sang just a moment ago, actually the first song we sang, Stan let us in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God. And that's a great passage for us to start with. We need to teach our children that God comes first. Baseball's good. Softball's good. But it doesn't come first. School's great. It's good. It doesn't come first. The first thing in our lives is our relationship with the Lord. And if I love the Lord and I follow the Lord, he will never let me down. Your athletic prowess and skill is going to fade. I hate to tell you that. I played basketball two nights this week with my boys in the gym, and I am huffing and puffing. I still got some skills, okay? But I am not nearly as I'm shooting a lot of three-pointers that I shouldn't be shooting because I get underneath the basket, and I just can't do what I used to do. They're on me. And so we will lose our skills. We will, as we get older... And uh, even though we become wiser, we're not able to do the stuff that we used to. But our relationship with God gets better, gets stronger with every single day. We need to talk to our, our children about what it means to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And we start by our relationship. How well? Have you heard your children pray? Do your children have a Bible? Do they read it? Do they know the significance of baptism, about being a part of the New Testament church? How much do they know about kingdom work? How much do they know about their Bible? These are areas where we need to help and we need to encourage our children to be thinking like that. And, and along with that, as I mentioned yesterday, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is my favorite verses in the New Testament. Teach us to be transformed, to have our minds changed and altered to become a new creature in Christ. Our children need to know you are different. You're going to be called out for that. You're going to be called out from people in the world for being different. And you know what? That's fine with me. My son, and I hesitate to tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. My son attends school at uh, uh, Foley High School. And there are kids that come to school dressed as furries. Now, do y'all know anything about this? The kids know what I'm talking about. Okay, we've got kids that are coming to our high school dressed like cats and dogs. Okay, now that's, that's odd, strange, uh, didn't think I'd see that in my lifetime. Now these kids are saying, because I'm dressed like a dog, or a dinosaur, or whatever, I didn't know dinosaurs were furry, but some of them dress like dinosaurs, they say to the teacher, you've got to treat me like I am a dog or a cat. So much so now that schools are having to debate and these, this is happening in Board of Education meetings, whether or not to allow kitty litter boxes in the classrooms and in the bathrooms. Y'all think that's crazy? It's happening in our country. Children, it's okay to be different, all right? It's okay to be different. You don't have to dress to impress somebody at school. You don't have to act a certain way. You be yourself. 
God created you exactly as you are. Don't conform. You don't have to conform. Uh, I know with my kids, we talk about this frequently because it, it irritates me. You know, we had three of them that went through, well, homeschooled two, sent two to private school, and now one in public school. And it's so hard because I, I was raised different. You were too. You know, I was, I was raised and a man was a man and a girl was a girl. And I was, I was taught that if I said that I was a dinosaur, they put me in a straitjacket and <laughs> took me to some kind of a mental health facility. This is where, parents, you're the voice of reason. You're the voice of rationality. You're the voice of common sense. And you know, common sense is not quite what it used to be. The things we think, that's, that's insane. Nobody would say that. Nobody would do that. That's where we are. And we need to encourage our children because they're living in some strange times. Some absolutely strange times. We set for them the example. They follow our lead to our children in uh, Exodus 20 and verse 12. Early on in the Bible, it's taught about the relationship we have with our parents. And it's taught even in those Ten Commandments to honor your father and your mother. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6 tells us that we should train our children in the way they should go. Maybe you remember the preacher James Meadows many years ago, worked for East Tennessee School of Preaching, fantastic minister. And I heard him preach, and he was doing difficult texts of the Bible, and he did Proverbs 22, 6. And when asked, which part of that verse is the most important? And he said, well, I'll pose the question to you. Which part is the most important? And people say, well, it's the training. Train up a child in the way they should go. So you got to have the training right. And then it's like, no, it's the way. It's the way. That's the most important part is you teach them the way. And then others say, no, well, it's that they won't forget it because they'll remember it. And he said, y'all are missing the point. The one part of Proverbs 22 and verse 6 that's the most important is the word he. And, of course, we're sitting there like you are now. What, what's that have to do with it? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. He said, you need to know your kid. You need to know your kid. Our children are all different. I got five. Each one of them completely different. Got twins. Couldn't be any more different. I mean, from the teams that they root for to the way they dress. Uh, I got one. The, the room is immaculate. It is clean. Everything is pristine. It's, it's white sheets and nothing hanging on the walls. And he's, it's clean. He gets up in the morning and make the bed. And I got another one that looks like a tornado went off in there. And I have to go in from time to time for the sake of, you know, of good health because there are milkshakes from Whataburger that are left there for days on end. And waffles from Waffles. not even orders the big meal and gets these waffles, but doesn't eat the waffle, brings it home, put it in the fridge, great, put it under your bed, no, no. <laughs> Went in there one time, there were six or seven, I, I made a video about it on Facebook. Say, anybody else, Heather, kid, can you come into your, the bedroom? What's that smell? Oh, it's the eight waffles under the bed, you know? <laughs> so our kids are going to do some crazy stuff, you know, they're going to do some crazy things, and you got to love them. you got to love your children, train them up the way they should go, know your kids, know what they like, know who their friends are. And, and, and children, I know it's hard, especially teenagers. You don't want your parents in your business. I didn't want my parents in my business either. But know that if your parents love you, they're going to be in your business. They're going to want to make, make sure and keep you safe. <clears throat> Had a young lady to our church. Uh, she's actually one of, our grand, one of our elders' granddaughters. And uh, 
I was in my office, coming out of my office into the gymnasium or to the multi-purpose building. And as we were, I was walking into the building, I heard screaming. And my first thought was something awful has happened. You know, and we've gone through these training things where we know security teams know what door to go to, you know, how to, how to escort people out of the building. And I hear this, this blood-curdling scream. And I make my way in, and I see people gathering in one of our classrooms just in full tears, screaming. And so I run to the room, and standing there, our secretary at church, and again, one of, her, one of our elders is her father, is saying, she's gone. She's gone. What are you talking about? Who's gone? And their granddaughter had just taken her life that Sunday morning. Oh. Family was getting ready for church. And she went out into the pasture and took her life. Well, try to teach a class after that. Try to preach a sermon. Try to go through a worship service after that. I'll tell you what it did. It made all of us more alert. I've done funerals for teenagers that have taken their lives. I've been to way too many. Some of them car accidents. Some of them, you know, maybe alcohol, things like that have taken their life. But, but the ones when they take their own lives, you don't forget those moments. And we met with our elders and said, we got to do something. And they sent all of us to a training seminar on mental health first aid for young people. And we got trained on how to spot certain things because parents, I know we're not always aware. This girl, clueless, nobody saw it coming. They, they didn't have any idea she was being bullied on Snapchat. They had no clue about all the things that were being said and she was keeping it in because she didn't want her parents to worry about her. So just know that when your parents are snooping, you know, and they're in your business, it's because they love you. Amen. And they want to make sure you're going to be all right. Because believe it or not, I, I, I ran away from home when I was in high school. My senior year, I got kicked out of my house. I slept in my car. I lived in my car my senior year. And there are so many times that I wanted to go home, try to make it right. And I had to wait until the right moment to finally go home and tell my parents I'm sorry. They had to tell me. My mom kicked me out. She told me that was the last straw. I was gone. And I'll tell you, there are times even today I wish I could call my mother and ask her a question, talk to her, pray with her, something. So know your parents love you. They love you. And they're looking out for your best interests. And I'll conclude with grandparents. My grandparents helped to raise me most of my life. In fact, I spent my summers the best part of my life. <laughs> I mean, I did. I loved being with my grandparents. In the summers, since my mom was so sick, she would send us to Stay. My brother loved to go to my grandpa Charlie's because he had a farm, several hundred acres in Ozark County, Missouri. So he'd hunt, fish, and just had a wonderful time. And I would go to my grandma Alita's because she never said no when it came to treats. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not diabetic, but I'm close. Still struggle with little Debbie. I used to tell my parents I was going to marry little Debbie. I didn't, but I got a beautiful redhead. She'll be here tomorrow. I love little Debbie. I love my treats. My grandma Lita would spoil me. But sometimes grandma, because she worked a full-time job, couldn't take me. And so I'd go with the green side. That's my mom's side. And they would take me in an RV or in a, they'd drive a fifth wheel sometimes, depending on what they had at the time. And we would spend the summer traveling. And as we were spending our summers traveling here and there, and he was a snowbird, they'd go to Texas in the winter. 
we would visit other churches. We met a lot of people. My grandparents would sit there every night and read their Bible. Now, my grandma, by the way, I have all my grandparents' Bibles. That's the only thing I wanted. That's the only thing I wanted was their Bible. Told everybody else, you get whatever you want. I do have a little lapel pen. I don't have it with me, but of my grandpa's that was on his tie, his last tie he wore to church. But I asked for the Bibles. And my grandma Green, she used to, you see all those little numbers in your Bible where it says 7, 8, 9, 10? If she read the verse, she'd circle the number. I don't know what she had about circling either. Because when she did word searches, you know, usually you put a line through it or you do, she'd circle each individual letter. But I love it now because I go back and look at her Bible and I can remember her sitting on the floor because Cactus the Cat had the couch, you don't mess with the couch. I could get there when it was time to sleep, but that was it. And so the cat had the couch and I would sit cross style in the, in the floor, crisscross applesauce, and watch my grandparents read their Bible every night, highlight in their Bible every night. And when my grandpa would talk to me, he'd ask me Bible questions. Well, I didn't have a clue, but I would listen and I would interact. My grandparents had a profound influence on me, specifically getting into ministry. My grandpa had had a heart attack in Texas, and uh, we had gone down to be with the family. We thought he was going to have to have another open-heart surgery. And when I went in to see him, I love my grandpa. I love all my grandparents, but my grandpa Green was just something special. And we were in the room, and he says, my first name's Darren, don't tell anybody. And he'd call me Darren sometimes. Darren, I got, a, I, got a, I got something I want to ask of you. I said, sure, Grandpa. You know, you're laying here and all these tubes attached to you. He says, I'm supposed to preach Sunday morning, and I need you to do it. I was like, I'm 13 years old. There ain't no way. I'm, I've never stood up in a class. I mean, I can't even... I'm never going to give a speech. It's not going to happen. I never read scripture. And I told you about waiting on the table. Teens were on the wall. We could only stand on the wall because teens were to be seen and not heard, our elders said. And praise God for this eldership that allows young men to lead. That is a tremendous example for the whole church. But I remember my grandpa saying, you're going to preach. I said, I can't do it, grandpa. I can't do it. He goes, well, I'll help you. I was like, from a hospital bed? He said, I'll be out by Sunday. So sure enough, he gets out Friday Saturday, he says, let's work on our sermon. And it was terrible. It was three minutes, I think. I read two poems, and, and I didn't even extend the invitation. I didn't know how to extend the invitation. I just said, if you need to come forward, we're going to sing a song. And three minutes. But my grandfather, at that moment, began to plan for the day that I would preach. He bought me a Bible, which now I have given to my, my oldest son to preach from. And he gave me a book. It's called Training Men to Preach by Claudia Guild. And that, that, that book, that book I had, and that Bible I had is what I started with. I had no idea I'd be preaching full-time at 19. I'm still, I, I had many opportunities to, to teach and to preach. I just didn't take them. But my grandfather knew in me, saw something in me as a young child, and he said, I know what you're going to do. Grandparents, you can say things to your grandchildren that nobody else can say. You can say and do things with your grandchildren that are so profound it will impact them for eternity. I remember my grandmother giving me in her uh, checkbook, they had the deposit slips. There was always a stack like this thick of deposits. She was writing a lot, wasn't depositing a lot. So she ripped them out and we pretend to write checks on those things and drop them in the plate you know, on Sunday. 
We didn't know. We thought we were contributing something. Everybody else is scribbling something on a piece of paper, so we, we do the same. My grandma was teaching us about the necessity to give. She wrote a check. And some of you might, if you're getting the plate, you know, well, who did this? You know, who did this? What, whose kid did this? Ah, oh, I bet I know who wrote this thing. The children's learning. They're learning about giving with songs, Lord's Supper. Spend some time. If you got your grandchild in your house, talk to them about spiritual things. Talk to them about the Bible. And yes, I know, don't roll, roll your eyes, teens. I was this way too. Talk to them about the good old days. They, they talk to them about what it was like when there were only two genders, you know? Talk to them. Tell them, say, when I grew up, the Bible was taught in public school. When I grew up, there was a bathroom for men and a bathroom for women. When I grew up, I lived in a time when people were proud of their God and proud of their church and proud of their Bible and proud of their country. Amen. I remember a time. Our children don't understand war. They see highlights and snippets on the news, but they didn't experience what you have, and some of our veterans have experienced, they don't understand that. They don't know about it. And it, history isn't taught many times the way that it should be. So grandparents, step up to the plate. And don't be afraid to say to your children, take it easy a little bit. You know? I got a mother-in-law. She's like that. I don't like it. We come down on the kids, and she says, well, now, you know, you just... Gotta love them. <laughs> well, I love them. I'm gonna love them a lot, you know. But grandparents, you may have the single greatest influence on your child's eternity by bringing them to church. Some of you grandparents are already doing this. Parents have checked out spiritually, and you're bringing them to Bible study, and you're bringing them to vacation Bible school. My parents didn't come because my dad worked and my mom was sick, but my grandparents took us. And I'm saying, from your grandchildren's perspective in the future, thank you for being a spiritual leader. If there isn't one in the home, you be that to your grandchildren. We need to revive our families. And as I said, uh, I've said every time, it starts with me and it starts with you. And I don't know where you are. If you're, if you're a single guy, single girl, and you're looking for someone, know that God will provide the right person. Don't rush it. Wait. I used to tell kids all the time, get, er, get married as early as possible so y'all grow up together, you know. I don't give that advice anymore. Don't settle for someone. You find the person that God has in store for you. One of my sons is dating a, a young lady, or was, that was not a Christian. And I asked him, I said, does she go to church? He goes, I don't know. I said, does she love the Lord? He goes, probably. And I said, you gone to school with her for this long and you don't know what about her religion or her spirituality? And he says, well, I could bring her to church. I'm not into evangelistic dating, okay? I'm not. If you, if you, if you want to win somebody, that's great, but don't date them to win them to Jesus. Find someone who loves the Lord. Spend quality time with people, your friends. And when you're dating, Find somebody that's a faithful Christian. You want to have somebody that will raise your children in the Lord, teaches them what is right, because you may not always be around. Life is short. Things happen. Find and pick a mate that loves God and build a strong family. We are a network of a family here. 
And just like we have difficulties in our homes, we've had tough times in our marriages. We have, maybe we've had to get a book, go to a seminar, call a counselor, whatever the case may be. We've had those rough patches, but we know that we can overcome. It's the same with the church family. All had our rough patches individually, but there's a great thing about having a spiritual family to come say, I need prayer. So tonight, whatever you're struggling with, if you want to revive your spiritual life, you've got to let go of some sin and you've got to let God in. Let go of that sin, let go of that burden, let go of that struggle, let go of that addiction, lay it down at the foot of the cross, and walk in a new light. And tonight, if you need to be baptized into Christ, you're ready to get rid of those sins, wash them away. Now's your opportunity. We would love to baptize you into Christ Jesus and know where you're going to spend eternity. If you need to come, come away, stand and sing. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.